In 2012, Pastor Brian, Karen, Pastor Jeanette, and a few other Grace Chapel leaders visited one of our partner churches in Kenya, Nairobi Chapel. And as they shared about their respective ministry practices, they became very interested by the Mizizi content that their entire church was going through. They thought, what if we did something similar? What if we did this? After Pastor Doug met with the author, Pastor Marathi, we launched Plugin, and about 800 people went through it. Oh, by the way, this is the same Pastor Marathi who was our global awareness speaker back in 2015. It felt like it was time to take our entire church through it, with a sermon series, daily readings, and coming together to share. Our hope is that we grow in Christ together, and to do that, we need to strengthen our roots. Well, for some reason, we are intrigued by the notion of a secret life. In a society obsessed with celebrity, we're insatiably curious about what those celebrities are doing behind the scenes, out of public eye, in their private world. Actors, artists, uh, politicians, athletes, we want to know. That's why we can't resist a glance at the, uh, at the tabloids as we check out at the grocery store. Did Kate really meet Brad's kids? Is Gwen going to postpone the wedding? Maybe you didn't all glance at those. I don't know. Some people glance at those things on their way out. It's why we watch TMZ when no one's looking. It's why we follow famous people on Twitter. We want to know where they are, who they're with, what they're doing, what they're having for lunch. We want to know not just to satisfy our curiosity, but perhaps to discover something about their secret lives that can enable our lives to be as beautiful, as happy, as glamorous, as successful as their lives might be. Oh, for obvious reasons, there's a considerable amount of interest these days in the secret life of a certain NFL quarterback. This is the Tom Brady that we know and admire, the public Tom Brady, the on-the-field Tom Brady, passing the ball, picking apart defenses, rallying his team to the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. I know you wanted to hear me say that, so there it is, all right? But what about the private Tom Brady? What does he do off the field? And is there any connection between his private life and his public success? Well, it turns out quite a bit. If you follow the Patriots or Brady or football at all, you know that Brady is highly intentional about almost every aspect of his personal life. He follows a very strict nutritional plan or organic vegetables, whole grain foods, lean meat, fish, avocado ice cream. He's very strict about it. He has an unconventional workout routine by NFL standards, minimal weightlifting, lots of elastic band stretching, and lots of yoga. He has a series of brain-stretching exercises he performs religiously to help him with focus and recognition on the field. He practices, practices certain forms of Eastern spirituality and New Age kind of mysticism, though one reporter says he does have Bibles scattered around his apartment. Well, all this to say that Tom Brady is highly intentional and multifaceted in his private life. And if you've heard him talk about it, he believes that it's his secret life off the field 
that enables him to perform at such a high level consistently on the field. Well, it turns out that Christians have a secret life as well. A life that can enable us to to be the people we want to be and to live the life we're called to live and want to live. And it's that secret life we're going to turn our attention to this week in week two of our Roots Challenge. As you know, for these next nine weeks, we are embarking on a discipleship journey here as a church, uh, following this discipleship exercise that we have borrowed from our friends at Nairobi Chapel. And I hope the first week went well for you. And I I hope you had the same feeling I did as you sat down with your readings uh, these days to think that as you sit down and read, thousands of your Grace Chapel friends all over the city are reading and reflecting on the very same thing on the very same day. There's something powerful about that possibility. And, and how about that clip art? <laughs> right? I mean, there, if you've been with the material, you've come to appreciate this kind of charming simplicity about it, this retro, low-tech kind of a look that is surprisingly refreshing and, and disarming. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, chances are a lot of the fami- material is familiar to you. It's basically Discipleship 101. But there's something about the way it's put together. There's something about doing it every day, about doing it with groups of people and doing it for nine weeks, something about it that's remarkably transformative. This is my third time through the Roots curriculum, and it's speaking to me again in fresh ways, and I hope you're finding the same thing to be true. Now, some churches in the States have taken this material and Americanized it, changing out the graphics and the references to Kenyan culture. We decided to leave all that in. We want to remind ourselves that we have a lot to learn from the global church and remind ourselves that our brothers and sisters around the world really are a lot like we are. In fact, some of us have even been practicing the Mizizi pose. (laughs) All right? Check it out. You'll see. All right? So if you haven't picked up a book yet, please be sure you do that. You can grab one in the lobbies on your way out today. You can go to Amazon and get one or through our website. And if you haven't joined a Roots group, can I encourage you to do that? We have groups meeting every one of our services and at 1230 on all of our campuses, one uh, on Sunday night as well, a couple during the week. If you've ever thought about trying small group life, this is the perfect time to try it. 60 days, no risk, money back guarantee. You can quit when you're done. But this is the time to try a Roots group. So we encourage you to do that. Now, last week we learned who God is and who we are when we become children of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to learn that we can actually have a daily relationship with God in which he actually speaks to us and we speak to him. It's what I like to call the secret life of the Christian. And Jesus talks about that secret life in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So let's dip into the middle of that Sermon on the Mount and a a passage there in which Jesus speaks about this secret life, and and then we'll come back and talk about it. But I'd like you just to kind of listen to the sermon as Jesus' original listeners might have heard it that day as he gathered a crowd of followers around on uh, on that hillside. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. If you do, you will get no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, 
Don't announce it with trumpets in the synagogues or the street corners as the hypocrites do to be honored by people. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, and, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and talk to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like that. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites do. They, they disfigure their faces so people will know they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it will not be obvious to anyone that you are fasting except to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, one thing we talk a lot about here at Grace is discovering life with God. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about, life with God. What does life with God actually look like? How does it work itself out in everyday experience? And Jesus covers a lot of topics in that sermon. In this section of the sermon, he challenges the traditional understanding of what a life with God looks like. People tend to think of the religious life, of life with God, of the Christian life, in terms of outward religious behaviors. Things like public worship and putting offering in the plate and singing music out loud and, and showing acts of kindness and giving to the poor and all the things we associate with religious behavior. If you're to describe someone as a good Christian, you probably think in terms of these kinds of behaviors. In the same way when we describe a good football player, we think of somebody who runs and blocks and tackles and throws and catches the ball. But it turns out that life with God, like football, is as much about what happens off the field as what happens on the field in public life. Last week, we learned that, that life with God is like a tree planted by streams of water. It's stable, it's growing, it's fruitful in all the seasons of life. It was a bold, beautiful, compelling image of what our lives can be like. But it turns out that trees have a secret life too. They're called roots. They grow underground, 
hidden from plain sight beneath the surface. But it's those roots that provide life that allow the plant to be growing and stable and fruitful. And in this passage, Jesus teaches us three things about this secret life, this private life of the Christian. The first thing he tells us is that the secret life of the Christian is about private practice, not public performance. It's about private practice, not public performance. Let's look again at a few of the verses. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they received their reward in full. One of the ways that religious people express their devotion to God is by giving to the poor. Just about every religion in the world has some aspect of almsgiving to it. And it was a prominent feature of first century Judaism in Jesus' day. And it was all good. The problem was that some people had turned this, this act of devotion to God and this act of kindness to others into a public performance that, that called attention to them and that satisfied their own need for status and for recognition. Now, chances are they didn't hire trumpeteers to follow them around with them. What probably happened was, was they always managed to be in a public place when the trumpet sounded, calling people to worship. So they would have a ready audience as they reached into their purse and put money into the plate. And apparently, it actually worked on a certain level because many of these folks were considered to be the, the most godly and honorable and spiritual people in the whole community. But Jesus calls them hypocrites, literally play actors, because they're pretending to honor God when really they're honoring themselves. They're acting as though they have an interest in other people when really they're only interested in themselves. It was just religion. It was just a public performance. It, it didn't spring from a place of genuine love for God or compassion for people. Now, we'd never blow trumpets and we put our money in the offering plate and we wouldn't admire people who did that. But surely, even in the church world, we tend to admire people who, who can live their faith out in public, people who can teach the Bible or who, who lead worship or who are uh, serving the poor or who volunteer in the church, have perfect church attendance. These are the things we look at to say, oh, that person's a good Christian. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if there's nothing beneath them, if they don't spring from a deep place of love for God and for people and for life, then it's just a lot of religious behavior. It, it, it's not stable. It's not fruitful. So Jesus says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, Jesus is using hyperbole here. It's pretty much impossible for your left hand not to know your right hand's putting money in the offering plate or helping your neighbor shovel the driveway or rock a baby in the church nursery. He's, he's exaggerating to make a point. And the point is, when we do something to honor God or serve others, it really ought to be something we do that's between us and God, that he's really the only one we're thinking about or concerned about as we do it. Like life flowing from the roots to the branches of a tree, our public expressions of faith should spring from a deep place of relationship with God. Now, it turns out this passage isn't just about giving. It's about the spiritual discipline that we call secrecy. 
If you've been around the church world for any length of time at all, you've probably heard people talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Prayer, Bible reading, reflection, journaling, silence, solitude, retreat, all these kinds of things, fasting. These are spiritual disciplines. And you'll read about some of them in the Roots book this week. Well, there happens to be a spiritual discipline called secrecy. And secrecy is the discipline of performing an act of kindness for someone without ever letting anyone know about it. No one ever. Not the person you were serving, not your spouse or your small group members or your pastor or anybody. No one ever. And as I've confessed to you before, this discipline of secrecy is difficult for me personally. Now, in part, that's because I'm a classic firstborn. And so I've, I'm hardwired for approval and affirmation from people. And I'm a religious professional. I make my living helping people. And I'm used to getting recognized for it. Thank you, Pastor, for visiting my mother in the hospital. Thank you for those words of counsel in that difficult moment. Thank you for your honesty in sharing your struggle with secrecy, Pastor. <laughs> See how it works? <laughs> Whenever I've tried to practice secrecy, to do something for someone and never let anyone know, it kills me. <laughs> it's just so hard. It just, so, just reveals how even my, my expressions of love for God and others can so easily be spoiled by my own need for approval or applause or recognition. Those things don't spring naturally from me. They have to spring from a deeper place, from the life of Christ. So I need to sink my roots deep into the selfless, sacrificial character of Christ in order for me to be able to do those kinds of things. And you have your own struggles. And it's these disciplines of secrecy and solitude and fasting and prayer and reflection that enable us to tap in to the life of God. Like an athlete's regimen, workout and diet, they enable us to do in everyday life the things we've cultivated in our secret private lives. And our Father, we're told, who sees what we do in secret will reward us. Now, he's not rewarding us with fame and fortune and success. He's rewarding us with stability and growth and fruitfulness and beauty, the things we in the world truly long for. So let me ask a kind of a diagnostic question here. If you were to take away all the public time you spend with God, all your time in church services, all your time at Bible studies, your prayer around the table at mealtime, your volunteer hours in the church and community. If you were to strip away all those public expressions of your faith and you are left only with your private interactions with God, how much of a relationship with God would you have? That's a searching question. And whether your answer is a lot or a little, I think we'd all agree we want more, more of this life. 
And so if the first thing we learn is that the secret life of the Christian is about private practice, not public performance, the second thing we learn is that it's about enjoying a relationship, not earning points with God. Enjoying a relationship, not earning points. Let's listen to the next few words of Jesus here. And when you pray, he says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Well, now Jesus turns our attention to another one of these spiritual practices, prayer in particular. And again, most every religion on earth has some form of prayer to it, some way of communicating with the divine. But prayer, too, can easily become just another public performance, another way of impressing God or others or even ourselves with our spirituality. And so Jesus teaches us, he teaches his followers to pray in secret. Now prayer will be the be a topic of our readings this week. We'll spend a couple days learning more and more about prayer. And in the Christian life, we often put together prayer and Bible reading and reflection, those three disciplines, we put those three together into something we call daily devotions or quiet time or time with God. And that's really what this week's readings are all about. And so Roots puts this teaching way up at the front of the experience because this quiet time with God is so central to a rooted experience of the Christian faith. But it's not easy, this practice of daily devotions. Finding 10 or 20 or 30 minutes a day, every day, when you stop doing everything else and just be with God for a while. I mean, most of our lives are pretty full. They start early and they end late each day. Some of us are not the reflective type, so this kind of thing doesn't always come naturally to us. There are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand and apply to everyday life. So like, like most Christians, I struggled for a long time trying to make daily devotions a regular part of my life, to get into a rhythm, to get into a habit of doing so. And when I did get it right for a while, it, it often felt more like a duty or an obligation, something I had to do to get God's blessing, like a good luck charm for the day. It was not very satisfying. A breakthrough came for me when someone helped me understand daily devotions as enjoying time with a friend rather than earning merit with God. You don't have to force yourself to spend time with a friend. You don't have to make yourself pick up the phone or plan some time to be together. You want to do it. You look forward to it. You want to talk and hang out and be with each other and share experiences because you know it's going to be more fun and satisfying and enjoyable to spend that time together. The moment you have to force yourself to be with someone, that's looking less and less like a friendship. And so it is with our time with God. Think of it as enjoying time with a friend. Listen again to how Jesus describes it. When you pray, go into your room. Now, the particular word room there is more like the word closet. Seems as though Jesus has in mind a very private place, maybe in the center of the house with no windows. So this is a place where there's no distractions and there's no interruptions. It's just you and God. He goes on, and close the door and pray to your father. 
Now, have you ever been talking to someone in the hallway, maybe at school or at work, you're having a conversation, and suddenly they kind of lower their voice. They look around, they say, come on, son. And they kind of invite you into their office or a classroom or something, and they close the door behind you. Well, suddenly you have a sense that this is a very important conversation, that they're trusting you with something very personal to them. They must value your relationship, your counsel, to want to trust you with this moment, with this information. Well, that's the invitation that Jesus is extending to us here. Only the person we're talking to is the Lord God himself, king of heaven, maker of the universe. This is an incredibly intimate conversation that we're being invited into. When I began to understand my daily devotions as time with a friend rather than fulfilling some duty, it changed everything for me. So when the alarm goes off in the morning, I don't say to myself, got to get up and have devotions. I say to myself, the Lord's waiting for me downstairs on the couch. I don't have to say to myself, I better have devotions if I want the day to go well. I say to myself, I wonder what the Lord might have to say to me today. It changes the whole dynamic of it. This struck me earlier this week, and I actually paused one morning this week and took a picture of my little spot on the couch uh, where I tend to meet with God. Now, first thing in the morning just tends to work well for me. I've got my uh, Camp of the Woods little coffee mug there. Got my Bible and little composition book I use for, for journaling in. Got the Mazizi book there uh, as we all work through that. Uh, typically, I try to spend about 20, 30, 40 minutes or so, uh, and I spend a little bit of that time reading the Scripture, usually following some kind of a devotional guide. Many of us here at Grace use Encounter with God, but there's daily bread, there's lots of others. Guides me through a passage of Scripture, usually asks me some reflective questions. So I read... Then I try to do some reflection about what I read. And often that means I need to have a pen in my hand to mark up the Bible or the workbook or write in my journal. Maybe I answer some of the questions that were being asked or I reflect on something that happened the day before, some lesson that I'm learning. And then after a little bit of writing, and then I usually turn to a time of prayer. Sometimes I've, I write out prayers, two, three paragraphs. paragraphs. Uh, often I'll just kind of work my way through a little prayer list that I've made up for myself. And this is an example of, just took a picture of the little prayer card that I keep inside my Bible. It's kind of got five days of prayer and I kind of break up my, my family members, my extended family, Grace Chapel needs, friends, uh, neighbors I'm trying to reach out to, some of our mission partners around the world. And I just kind of work my way each day through one of those things and just turn the cycle around every five days or so. But then sometimes I don't even do that. Sometimes I just put the whole thing aside and just talk out loud to God for a little while. Now, I realize I've once again blown the whole secrecy thing by telling you all about this. But I do that really just to give you a visual sense of what the time and space and experience can look and feel like. You need to know there are, there are many days I don't get in all the minutes I wish I could get in. There are many weeks I don't get in five days with the Lord. And you should also know that I find myself in a season of life where it's a whole lot easier to find 30 minutes of quiet time than when I had four kids at home waking up in the middle of the night and uh, having to get out of the house in the morning. So this just happens to work really well for me right now. The point is don't get legalistic about it. 
Don't get duty-bound or guilt-driven by it. It will kill you. Friends understand when life gets crazy and you don't call. And the Lord understands when life gets crazy as well and you miss a day or two. But remember that the crazier life gets, the more we need to be grounded in the wisdom and love and grace and presence of God. And I do like to remind people that if you've missed for a bunch of days and you finally get back to it, the Lord is not waiting for you saying, where have you been? He's saying, so glad you're here. Let's pick up where we left off. And you just go from there. So this week's readings will help you have some tools and tips for beginning to develop a quiet time with God. But you need to make it your own as you practice it over the years. So the secret life of the Christian is about private practice, not public performance. It's about enjoying a relationship, not earning points with God. And then finally, it's about training, not trying. Training, not trying. Let me, let's look at the final paragraph. I'll explain what that means. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to people that you are fasting. Now, as we said, fasting is one of many spiritual disciplines that uh, Christians pursue, that spiritual people pursue. And fasting is simply abstaining with something for some spiritual purpose. Now, typically we think of fasting as abstaining from food, but you can abstain from anything that occupies time and attention and your affection. So you can fast from TV, you can fast from the radio, you can fast from Facebook, you can fast from shopping or exercise or coffee or anything that begins to occupy time and energy and affection sometimes to set those things aside and give them up. It, it frees up that time and energy and affection from those things to put that time and energy affection towards God, reflecting on his word, spending time with him in prayer or reading. The other thing it does, it reminds us that more than that thing, more than coffee, more than exercise, more than food, more than whatever it is, I want you, Lord. I want you and your presence in my life. It reminds us of our dependence on God. And so fasting can be a very meaningful spiritual exercise. But fasting is not, is not the end goal of the whole thing. You're not a good Christian because you fast. But fasting can enable you to live the kind of life you want to be living with God. In the same way that a, an athlete's private regimen enables them to do what they need to do on the field, the things we practice in private with God enable us to do what we can do in the rough and tumble of everyday life. Let's come back to Tom Brady a minute because I know you want to, all right? <laughs> Tom Brady will never be asked to run out onto the field and stretch an elastic band. Never be asked to do that. Or to run onto the field and strike the downward dog pose. He'll never have to do that. But by stretching the elastic band in the gym five and six days a week, he stays loose and limber on the field when the pocket is collapsing around him. By practicing yoga in the workout room, he learns to focus his mind and his spirit when a million people or a hundred million people are watching and the game is on the line. 
those private practices enable our, they train our minds and hearts and bodies to do in the moment what we need to do. And that's how the spiritual disciplines work. If, if I can teach myself to say no to a meal or to a donut or a cup of coffee, then I can teach myself to say no to a, to a tempting website or, or to a foolish purchase. If I can train myself to listen for God's voice by turning off the radio in the car, I might be better able to hear God's voice in the heat of the moment when I face a difficult decision or, or someone's asked me a difficult question. Those things aren't the end in themselves. They simply equip us to do in the moment, to, to allow our minds and hearts and bodies to do what they were meant to do, love God, love people, love life and draw our life from him. So the big idea here is simply that the secret to the Christian life is to have a secret life. To practice off the field, out of public view, things like prayer and Bible reading and solitude and reflection. We'll learn some more about those things in our readings this week. And we're going to have an opportunity to put some of them into practice on March 25th. We have a half-day soul care retreat here on our Lexington campus, and everyone's welcome. If you've never tried some of these things of, dis of solitude and silence and reflection, we turn this whole campus uh, into a retreat center for that morning, March 25th. It's a great way to try some of those things. And so these private practices, these, these secret habits are are like roots beneath the ground that enable us to be stable and growing and fruitful. And if all of it feels a little bit overwhelming right now to you, a little bit intimidating, let me leave you with one final word of encouragement. I discovered in my research that roots are incredibly adaptive and resilient. No matter where they find themselves, roots find a way to take hold, to secure the plant. They find moisture and nutrients somewhere in the soil. Look at some of these pictures of root systems. Here are some roots working their way around a giant rock. Maybe your life feels like that right now. There's some big, hairy thing that's occupying a lot of time and space in your life. Maybe it's a demanding career. Maybe it's a growing family. Maybe it's some enormous personal problem. Roots can find a way to work around that. Or how about this picture? Here are some roots taking hold on pavement. And maybe that's how life feels for you. Like you're trying to put down roots in a very hard season of life. There's, there's emotional pain, there's relational stress, maybe a season of depression or discouragement or spiritual doubt. Roots can find a way even when the soil's hard. Or how about this one? Okay, these roots are hanging on for dear life right now. And maybe that's how your life feels, like the ground beneath you has just given way. You're in crisis mode. It's okay. Roots will find a way if you only give them a chance. Your roots may look nothing like my roots right now. In fact, you may wish you could get 30 minutes on a quiet couch right now. That's okay. 
Roots are adaptive and resilient. They will find a way. So whether it's first thing in the morning or last thing at night or on the train to work or when you put the baby down for a nap or, or as you're walking around the track, whether it's three days or five days or seven days or one day, whether it's solitude and silence or reading and reflection, you find what's going to work for you in this particular season of life. Because it's not so much what you do that matters, it's simply that you have a secret life. Because Jesus promises us that your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this remarkable invitation into a deeply personal and daily relationship with you. And you really do want to speak to us and hear from us. You want to meet us and pour your life into us. That we might be the people that we long to be, that the world needs us to be. I thank you for this opportunity we have in this Roots Challenge, each of us to try some new things, to take some steps. Give us the courage and the faith and the willingness to take a chance, to try them. Forgive us when we fail, meet us when we mess up, and help us start over again. But we pray, Lord, over the course of these next weeks that many of us will find deep, deep moments of connection and relationship with you that begin to change the way we live and love you and love the people around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.